it is great uh, to be with the family of believers here. If you're new uh, to the Long Beach Church, we're grateful that you're here visiting with us. Uh, we apologize for the parking situation we had today. There's another event happening uh, there in the gym, uh, 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 gym meet actually, gymnastics. And so uh, I didn't know they were going to start this early. I didn't know there were going to be so many people. I thought it was just going to be a high school meet, but it's actually like a national event. So anyway, um, thank you for your flexibility and your patience in figuring out the parking and then the upstairs kids kingdom and all that kind of stuff. So uh, thank you for that. Um, we do have some people, some brothers and sisters visiting with us from other churches. Uh, we have uh, the Chisholm family from the Denver church uh, right over here. Uh, they're great friends with Brian and Karen Plymel back in their college days. Long, long time ago. Back in the day, you know what I'm saying? Um, so, yeah, I probably wouldn't be here. <laughs> so it's great to have them. Uh, I just spent uh, this past week, I was in San Antonio for a few days. And uh, our, if you're new to our church, our uh, movement of churches is called the International Churches of Christ. And we have uh, churches all over the world. Uh, we're part of a great brotherhood of churches all over the world. And uh, our churches are, in order to cooperate and plan and have vision together and exchange ideas and what's working, what's not working, we, we have uh, a few a service teams of different evangelists, elders coming together, uh, ministry leaders, to just plan conferences, plan, uh, think about ways that we can help our churches uh, get better in different areas. And so we have an evangelist service team, we have an elder service team, a teacher's service team, a campus ministry service team that kind of puts together the ICMCs, uh, the uh, International Campus Ministry Conference. We have a youth and family service team. And then so I get to serve on the youth and family service team. So I was there this past week with other evangelists and leaders from around the world, um, Literally, I mean, we had an elder, uh, a couple who served as an elder couple for the Singapore church with us. We had uh, Dinesh and Caroline George, who, lead, who oversee the churches in all India, about 60-something churches in India. Uh, they were there with us in these meetings. And so what we're doing is kind of planning. Uh, we have a, 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 every other year we have a conference, an international conference for youth and family ministry. And we had it, uh, we've had it in Boston. We've had it in, in uh, Chicago. We had it in Los Angeles. Uh, we had it in New York. And this year, we're going to take this conference, this, uh, this, this training uh, about youth and family ministry, involving the whole family in uh, the culture of the church. Uh, we're taking it to India. And we're going to go to Chennai, India in December, like over the Christmas break. And so I'm going to provide some more information about that here in the next couple of weeks, especially for families who would love to take your teens or your preteens out to India to serve and do some hope worldwide work there and uh, be part of the conference as well. It's an amazing opportunity, and God's doing some great things in those churches. But we have 65 or so church leaders who are going to be converging onto Chennai to be trained in youth and family ministry uh, and just kind of encouraging the family culture in the church. And I, uh, it made me, as we were having all these discussions, it made me so proud of Greater Long Beach Church because I feel like, what God has taught us and what God is allowing us to build here is exactly what we're discussing about, that a lot of other churches really in our movement are, are just barely starting 
or just don't know about in terms of not separating the teen ministries and the parents and the campus and the, not separating things, but really how do we build family together? And i um, very thankful uh, for, it made me just very thankful for Dick and Anna G. Uh, it really did make me very thankful for Dick and Anna G. Dick and Anna have really implemented a culture in our church that really involves parents in the lives of their teenagers and the preteenagers uh, and, and involves the teens involved with each other. I mean, it's just a great vibe. And this past Friday night, they had a sports night out in Heritage Park with the youth ministry night. And uh, But just seeing the interaction with the parents, the children, this is God's, if you read the Old Testament, this is God's perspective and view of how the family and the church should be. Uh, where we as parents are training and teaching our children, and uh, they're not separated, but they're with us. It's all inclusive. And so very, very encouraging time. Um, but uh, let's get into scriptures now, okay? I gave you a flower today. You like that? Take out your flower. Lift it up here. You got, everybody got a flyer? Who did not get a flower would like a flower? Some in the back there. There's some ushers. Our ushers will, will give you flowers. If you raise your hand, you want a flower. Okay, now now put this flower down in your lap. We're not going to talk about this until the end of the lesson. So don't get distracted by it. But it's, it's an illustration we're going to have today in our lesson. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to be part of your kingdom. We're grateful to be uh, in worship today. We're thankful for your word how your word provides direction and guidance in our lives. Help us today uh, to grow, to learn, to leave here encouraged, inspired, challenged by your word. Thank you for the many lessons we've been learning in the book of Jonah in the past few weeks. And as we close out today, I pray that uh, we would leave here different to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're closing out our series today in the book of Jonah. We've been talking about Everybody Runs and the idea that uh, you can run from, from God, but you cannot outrun God. And how Jonah ran from God. And um, the title of the lesson today, I don't have it in the left hand. Let me just, oh, this, oh, there we go. The title of the lesson today is a matter of great concern. We have uh, been talking uh, about this principle that you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about this, about the idea that all of us at one point or another have run from God, whether it be in general, uh, just running away from him. We grew up in the church and we decided to leave. You know, I don't want to have anything to do with church or God or anything like that. I'm, I'm doing my own thing. Or whether it be in a specific area in our lives, whether it be our finances or our marriages or uh, our dating life or wh whatever it is, just different areas in our life that we just you know, God, we want you involved in these areas of our lives, but this one area you can, you can stay aside. We don't want you involved in this area. We're running from God. And we learned through looking at Jonah's life, right, that you can run from God, but you cannot outrun him. And as, as we close out this series, um, we're going to finish the story of Jonah, and I think we'll see an insight into God that will challenge us. And I think this lesson in particular praying about it. I think this lesson in particular is for us as Christians. Uh, so if you're visiting with us for the first time today, you get a free pass. Uh, this is primarily for those of us uh, who are disciples, Christians in the church here. Uh, but I think if you're new to church or if you don't 
um, if you haven't come to church in a long time or, or you've been away and you don't know if you believe your faith and everything like that, I think this will help you understand God's perspective and help you see that um, a lot of times as Christians, we're just, we're not really doing what God wants us to do. And why in our society, in our world, there may be hypocrisy aligned with Christianity. Um, but I think today, hopefully, we'll leave here more challenged and inspired in our Christianity to do and to live out what God wants us to live. Amen? Um, it was a very challenging study for me personally, I think. Uh, it forced me to really question and look at my own discipleship and my own imitation of Christ. Um, you know, God, I think, I think what we've seen in Jonah's life is that God still has a purpose for your life. He still has a plan. All the circumstances that happen in your life happen not because God is paying you back, but because he's trying to bring you back, right? You guys remember that? God still wants to use us. He's a God of second chances. And so we're going to pick up the story here in Jonah chapter 3 in verse 1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. You know, you've got to love this about God. You know, Jonah ran from God, and yet God says, after he repents, right, God says, no, Jonah, I still want to use you. So I'm going to give you this message. I'm going to give you a second shot at doing this. Go to Nineveh. Proclaim to it the message I I give you, and obviously Jonah says here, obeyed the word of the Lord. He did not want to get into that belly of fish again. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Think about this image, okay? I mean, how would you respond if some crazy guy whose hair saw y'all bleached from the acid of the belly of the fish, right? And, and he's, maybe his skin's all deformed and everything like that. He's got his cardboard box out there like we've seen on many occasions on the corner. 40 more days and you're going to die. Everybody's going to hell. How would you respond to that? Probably ignore him like anybody else, right? And yet, it's amazing here. It says that the, that the Ninevites believed God. And the fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. You know, something changed in the people of Nineveh. And, and it's amazing what happens here. Uh, the king himself, you know, you jump down to verse 7, the king himself uh, repents and he says, do not, he sends out a decree throughout the whole land. He says, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent. And with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. The king decides to repent, calls the whole city to repent. Now, what's interesting for us to understand in history, history tells us what was happening here during this time that may have led the people of Nineveh to repent. Uh, in other words, it wasn't like Jonah was going around casting a trance and a spell on people like, you know, the city's going to be overthrown in 40 days. Repent. And that people were like, yes, Jonah, we repent. You know, it wasn't that. I mean, there were some things that happened. He's, during this time, during this, as you see, you can research this out. It's, it's amazing. During this time, there was a complete and total solar eclipse. 
that had happened during this time of Jonah. And so the people had seen this eclipse. And so an eclipse at that point, there's no science behind it. It's just an omen from God, a, a bad omen. Like, this is bad luck. We're, we're, we're going to be destroyed, right? And then another thing that was happening, about 100 miles north of them, there were two or three tribes that joined together and had begun invading and uh, uh, invading different small towns and taking, taking over small towns. And they were making their way down south to Nineveh. And so the people knew this was happening. They had heard rumors. They had heard stuff. And so they knew they were about to be under attack. And the other thing that happened, in the span of five years, two different times extreme plague had happened through this whole people. And so hundreds and thousands of people had been killed because of a plague. And so all this, you know, you combine these three factors, and now you got this crazy guy coming to your city saying, your city is about to be overthrown. I believe you. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, this is, it could be a very logical reason for why they were so quick to repent. Now, it's interesting. If the story ended here, that would be fine. And we learned this lesson, you know, that God, God is often working behind the scenes to get people ready to hear his message, right? Think about it. Think about your story. You know, some of you who, came, who are here today, God worked in different areas of your life to get you to a point where you realize, I, I'm ready to receive God's word. And so when he sat down to study the Bible, it was very, there was a lot of humility, right? I, I always think about, um, um, I always think about Javier and Thelma, Nieta. You know, they got baptized a couple years back, but I, I remember how they came. They, they had studied the Bible, uh, well, Thelma had studied the Bible years prior. And at that time, she decided, you know, I don't want to continue this, and and Javier, you know, wasn't involved in the picture about studying the Bible. And then it was like years later, and they came back, and circumstances in their life, things had happened in their marriage, things had happened in their life, and they came back a lot more humble this time. We're ready to learn. And God kind of works that way. You know, I, you know, this, this happens uh, sometimes. We talk to people. I know for myself, um, you know, you get that nudge to share your faith or to, like, invite somebody. They're sitting next to you, or they go to your kid's school or something like that. Like, I should talk to this person. And then you end up not talking to them, you know. Uh, but yet God kind of works it a way to, like, get you to talk to them. Like, I remember we were talk- walking with this one of the dads at the Bella School, and, and uh, we're just talking. And I'm like, oh, I should invite him, I should invite him, I should invite him. I just like, you know, i got to go, though. i got a meeting right now. i got to go. And you kind of make these excuses, right? And the guy all of a sudden just starts telling me, you know, man, I'm kind of bummed. My, my brother just passed away. Cousin is in jail or passed away. I mean, he's just kind of sharing his life, and it's like God just nudges, right? Like he just gives you this open door to start talking to somebody because God always works in the circumstances of people. You're not the only player. Like I'm not the only player in the in the process of helping somebody become a Christian. God's always doing something, right? Um, he works behind the scenes, working on people's hearts. And uh, then we get a little nudge to share our faith. We don't, we shouldn't neglect it because we're not the only one in the mix. God may be working on that person's life. But the story, it's interesting. I mean, if we could have bookended the story of Jonah and just ended it right there. Been like, oh, wow, this is awesome. God's always working. Amen. I need to listen to his message more, listen to the nudge more. But the story doesn't end there. And what we read next, I believe, shines a spotlight into our hearts 
as we discover as Christians that all of us, we all have a little bit of Jonah in us. We all have a little Jonah in us. And I want to explain that here. Let's keep on reading in verse 10, Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, it says he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. I mean, how awesome is God, right? And then Jonah. But to Jonah, in chapter 4, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall. That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Wait a minute. Any preacher that would go into a city and convert a whole city would be more excited about the result, right? And yet Jonah's over here throwing a temper tantrum. Side note, I use this a lot with my girls sometimes, family meeting. I don't want to go to Nineveh. Why are you complaining? I don't want to eat that. Yeah. Anyway, that's another story. I don't want to. Hey, instead, I'm angry about what it, yeah. You know, Jonah had perfect theology, but yet he was angry that God was delivering the Ninevites. And now we get an insight into why Jonah ran in the first place. Jonah didn't run from God because he was afraid of the Ninevites. He ran because he was afraid that God would do what God does when people are warned and turn back to him. He didn't like that. Nineveh is an enemy of Israel. Nineveh is a total pagan culture and pagan country. Nineveh, Israel hates Nineveh. And Jonah is an Israelite saying, I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I'm going to go and preach the word, but his judgment could rain down this great city. I don't agree, but, but he's like, but I know how God is. I know he's not, I know if these people repent, he's not going to destroy them. So I'm going to run to Tarshish. See, the issue wasn't the Ninevites and him being afraid of sharing his faith. That wasn't the issue. The issue was he just didn't want God to do what God does. In relenting. In forgiving. I mean, it's similar. I'll just, I, I think this kind of a parallel to us as Americans. You know, um, let's say if Osama bin Laden was alive, and he came and he, he, you know, called a press conference and just said, I just want to apologize. I'm so sorry for what I did to the Americans and for what I did to New York City. In fact, I'm going to provide all the resources that I have to be able to contribute and help. I'm so sorry. I mean, guys, honestly, a lot of us would be like, no, we're not forgiving you at all. Are you kidding me? We're angry. If, you, if you're forgiven, if you get off that easy, we're angry. Because justice, we need justice and fairness. You guys with me here? We'd be like Jonah. Because there's a little bit of Jonah in each one of us. Angry, mad. That God 
see God to people when they repent. I knew that you're a kind God, and now I'm upset because they should have been destroyed. And he says he wants to die. And, I, I, you know, part of it, I think, is he just didn't want to go back to Israel. Can you imagine Jonah going back to Israel? Hey, Jonah, where you been, man? Oh, I've been in Nineveh. Oh, what you been doing here? Oh, well, I ended up preaching the word, and they repented, and God didn't destroy them. What? What? They would have destroyed Jonah right there. So Jonah's like, I don't want to go back home. I want to die right here. And the God replied the way that God replies to all of us. God said, you know, is it, is it right for you to be angry? Oh, wrong one. Is it right to you for you to be angry? Jonah, you know me. You're right about me. And Jonah, you're actually a product of who I am. Jonah, do you remember how you ran away from me? And, and I could have killed you, and yet I just decided to have you go in the belly of the fish, and you repented. Jonah, you're, you're a customer of my service. You're a product of what, who I am. And now you're going to be angry that I'm doing this with a whole city? How can you be angry with me for sparing them when I'm the same God who spared you? Jonah. And so Jonah, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So even after this, Jonah is still waiting for the destruction of Nineveh. And he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a warm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Jonah's kind of emotional, huh? He's still waiting to see if something will happen to Nineveh. And God sends him this vine to provide comfort. And Jonah's very happy and content about the vine. But then he provides his worm to eat it up. And, and God's trying to teach something to Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry, God says? He says, actually, in the verse, I kind of switched the slides. I'm sorry about that. But it says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? I'm trying to teach you something here, Jonah. You're more angry about losing the plant than you are about those people. Jonah, are you, do you have any right to be upset about this? And look at Jonah's response. It's amazing to me. It is. He said, and, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, this is kind of where we're going to plant ourselves here today. The Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, but you did not tend to it. Or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And, and could have not 
I have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their left hand from their right, and also many animals? Jonah, you're more concerned about the plant than you are about the city of Nineveh? You, you know me. You know you cannot run me. But these people, they're like children. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. In other words, Jonah, you know when you disobey my law. You know when you're in sin. But these people, they don't, they're sinning it up. And they, but they don't even know that they're sinning. They're like children. Should I not be concerned about them? And you're only concerned about your dumb plant? And then it's kind of funny. I don't know why he includes this. This is is the last verse in the book of Jonah. He says, and look at all the animals. I mean, I have no idea what that has to do with the people. But he's like, well, Jonah, you're so concerned about nature and about your plant. At least look at all the animals then. At least save them. So concerned about your plant. You see, Jonah, Jonah's concerned that they're not going to get what they deserve. And that he's not getting what he deserves, the plant. But you see, God's primary concern is that nobody gets what they actually deserve. That's why I scooped you out of the belly of the fish, Jonah. Because I didn't want you to get what you deserve. That's why I'm concerned about this city. Because I'm about to destroy it. And, I, and they deserve destruction, but I don't want them to get what they deserve because, yes, you're right, I am a God and not a man of compassion, of grace, slow to anger, abounding in love. Jonah, you're concerned about the wrong stuff, God says. God says, Jonah, you're concerned about the wrong stuff. I don't want them to get what they deserve. You're missing the point. Because you're, you're not concerned about what I'm concerned about. And I think this begins to hit and reveal my heart. Because I think I have a little bit of Jonah in me. I think I can get really concerned about or angry about the food taking too long at a restaurant or a long time to get my table or the rude waiter or waitress to the neglect of the person serving me the food who will live forever somewhere. I can get a little upset at the hotel person for not having my room ready. And I should say this because I stayed at a hotel this past week. I can get a little concerned about that a little angry about that, but not about the fact that this person in front of me will live somewhere forever. Do you ever respond emotionally about someone in customer service who's just not 
the nicest person to the total neglect of them and where they're going to spend forever? Do you ever go get your dry cleaning and it's not done on time the way that you expected it to be done? And you're more upset about that than you are about where this person's going to spend eternity? See, I think, I think we all have a little bit of Jonah in us. You know, we're generally concerned about people. Yeah, I'm going to pray for the city. I'm going to pray for the harvest. But, but I'm talking about in the moment, in the sudden moment, what is most concerning to God gets overshadowed by what's more concerning to me. And little things that are so temporary and take up all of our emotional energy distract us from the eternity of someone else's soul. Sisters, you ever get more upset about your manicure than your manicurist? You know, guys at work, or sisters at work, you know, do you get all, all riled up about the inefficiency of your co-workers or your employees instead of the inefficient person who will spend forever somewhere? You see, that's Jonah. That's Jonah in all of us. You know, the measure, the measure of spiritual maturity, the measure of spiritual maturity is when what is most concerning to God is what becomes most concerning to me. When God's priorities become my priorities, when God's primary concerns become my primary concerns, because at that moment, I am becoming more like my Father in heaven. And isn't that the goal? Spiritual maturity? Growing in Christ? Being more like Christ? A measure, the measure of spiritual maturity is when what concerns God is what concerns me. I don't know about you, This is a great challenge to me. Oh, but Reuben, you're the leader. You're the evangelist. This is drastic. No. Sometimes I think we elevate this role of evangelist and elder as like, they're the perfect Christian. No. I'm not the perfect Christian. This has been a challenge for me my whole Christian walk. I'm weak when it comes to this. I'm not the best at seeing people the way that God sees people. And it's been a challenge for me my whole Christian walk. You know, I, I, can, I, can, I can do the role of the preaching and persuading and motivating and mobilizing these kind of things. Man, sometimes my, I get so full of other, other things happening to the neglect of this dad that, my, that has kids the same age as Bella and Rocky and the opportunity to reach out, build friendship, serve. And then what happens in my character is then I get guilty. 
well, I'm not, I'm not doing it enough. I'm not getting out. And so then that becomes the motivator rather than I love God. I'm so thankful for God. I just want other people to have what I have. And then I start sharing my faith. I start evangelizing. I start getting excited more out of guilt than out of a genuine desire to please God. And I, I don't know how you are, but this is, this is a constant battle for me. And it's kind of like I got the little angel and a little demon on my shoulder, and they're kind of battling the tension. Demon, open your mouth. Oh, but I've got to get to this place. I'm, I'm already running late. Demon, save this person. Oh, I've got to pick up all the garbage in my car. Demon, invite them over to your house. Oh, but you see what I'm saying? So I think I have a little bit of Jonah in me. Let me ask you something. What is, what is your concern? In fact, let's narrow it down a little bit. What is the thing that you're so concerned about that often gets in the way of you expressing concern for the people around you and where they will spend eternity? What's the thing? In order to illustrate this, now you can check out your flower. In order to illustrate this, if this flower represented the thing that you get concerned about the most to the neglect of the people around you, what would this flower represent? You know, most of our concerns are valid. Most of our concerns are real and true. But which of those valid concerns that often get in the way of you expressing concern for the people who are going to live somewhere forever. What, 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 are, what is that concern? And so what I want you to do this week is I want you to keep this. I want you to put it on your dashboard or in your kitchen or somewhere where you can see it. And I want you to see how it withers away within days. And you'll see how temporary, at times, how, how, how dumb at times. And I say the word dumb in a term of like, you know, I'm so angry about the plane. You know, I'm so angry about, I didn't get this on time, or I didn't get there. What, what is the thing that keeps you away from expressing concern for others? Is it your reputation? You know, you go to work and man, nobody shows up on time. Nobody does their work efficiently. Nobody. And if I start talking about Jesus, they're all going to look at me weird. And I'm more concerned about my reputation, what I, how I look. I'm more concerned what they think about me than I am about where they will live forever. Is it your schedule? You know, you got everything timed. You know, every five minutes, every ten minutes, it's time. It's, it, I, I'm efficient. i got to get this done. Every hour is planned. And you don't want to be inconvenienced because you will get away from the efficiency of your time management. And so all of a sudden, you've got all these different things you're doing. But then you've got some friends that have been saying, man, I need some help in my marriage. Can you guys have time? Well, I, 
I, you know, I've got this going on. I've got karate over here, and I've got basketball right there, and my kid's got this, and, you know, maybe sometime next month. Is it your time? You know, some of you guys are just been a Christian for a long time. And in that long time, you've developed great Christian friends. And so your time is filled with keeping up with all your Christian friends. And you've got to get with so-and-so, and you've got to meet with so-and-so, and you've got to get over here, and you've got to... To the neglect of filling a schedule or, or having a, a, an, an intentional effort to be around those outside the fold. You have no time to pursue relationships. Because of all your other relationships with the church, you have no time to pursue relationships with your neighbors, with your co-worker, with your employer, with your employees, with your families on your, on your baseball team or basketball team or whatever. I mean, are you guys with me here? Is it a habit? Is it a hobby? Is it how your lawn looks? How you look? Is it the level of your income that you're making, your career? What is it? What is the thing that concerns you most to the neglect of expressing concern for those around you? Why don't, I, why don't I invite more? Why don't I have more concern? What, and I'm not talking about in a general sense. I'm talking about in, in the moment. What is that temporary concern? Attach meaning to this flower. Just, just work with me here, okay, on this one. Attach meaning to that flower. Some of the guys are like, I never, I'm not going to have a flower. I don't want a flower. You know, but, you know, if you're a married couple, just do it together, okay? But attach meaning to that flower. Put it somewhere you can see it in your home. And as it withers, will you let it be a reminder of your temporary concern? Will you pray, as you look at this flower wither, will you pray that God will help you see those concerns like this flower? And God, help me to grow in what concerns you most. You know what God's concerned about? He's concerned about a whole generation of teenagers growing up not knowing about him. He's concerned about marriages and the institution of marriage being condemned and looked down upon because of all the divorce in this world. He's concerned about college students having no purpose and no direction in their life. Although God created men in his image and has mission, has purpose, has fulfillment. God, he's concerned about the single adult who fills their life with all these other things when he knows that she's the only one that can fulfill. God is concerned about the single mom who just is treading water trying to raise her son with no direction, with no encouragement, with no community, God is concerned about the senior citizen who has lived life and is now looking back on their life wondering, was it worth it? My heart's desire for myself 
for our church is that what concerns us most would be in sync with what concerns God most. And that this would be a sign of our spiritual maturity. Jonah got it right. God is gracious. He is compassionate. He is abounding in love. And I think God, if you were here today, if you were, if we were like Jonah, if God would speak to us directly, I think God would say, I'm concerned about the people in your neighborhood. What are you concerned about? I'm concerned about your boss. What, what are you concerned about? I'm concerned about the kids at your school, in your class, your classmates, your teachers. I'm concerned about them. But what, what are you concerned about? I'm concerned about your siblings, your extended family. What, what are you concerned about? I want to show a quick video here that kind of illustrates this point a little bit. And then we're going to, um, I'm going to come back and we pray for our communion. And we'll take communion together. Can we get the lights back up?
you're concerned about what God is concerned about has the potential to change someone's destiny. One of the brothers in San Antonio Church produced and directed this, Nathan Tolliver, and it's actually uh, in several Christian film festivals that have, have won several awards, actually, just because of this inspiration that it provides. Um, but I always, when I, when I watch this, I, it's just con- I just saw it this past week for the first time, and I was convicted. How many times have I had to neglect what God's concern is about? And um, we have the potential to change somebody's destiny. I'll never forget Brian, when Brian shared about, you know, how the LA Church expanded and campus ministry here and how the campus ministry reached out to Candace and Candace became a Christian and now Candace is married to Danny. Like if it wasn't for somebody opening their mouth, that wouldn't happen. I'm reminded of even one of our teams back in uh, the West, Kenny uh, Iwasuke was on the volleyball team at UCLA, uh, converted a, another volleyball player named Kendall and Kendall ends up marrying one of the other girls that was on our team, Nancy, Allie Lindsay. And uh, if it wasn't for Kenny opening his mouth, I mean, if Allie wouldn't have gotten married to Danny and found her man, you know? And I, I don't know, I just, there's so, what if? What, there's all these things, and this is not, this is not to guilt us into doing it. It's just, let's consider. Let's think. Pray to be more concerned, spiritual maturity. Be more concerned about what God is concerned about. We're going to say a prayer for communion, and I want us to meditate on that a little bit. Uh, because we have Easter coming up next Sunday. And what an incredible opportunity to invite a friend to join us uh, to worship God on Easter Sunday. And we're going to, actually, when we leave today, I'm gonna, we're going to give you some invitations for you to use this week so that you can and I can be concerned about what's concerning most to God. Because I think God looks at Long Beach, Doritos, Los Alamitos, Rossmore, Norwalk. He looks at these places and he's like, I should I not be concerned about that great city? And you're concerned about this? Let's pray and we'll take communion. Father, I'm so uh, thankful for your word. And I pray that we would take to heart and be more concerned about what you're concerned about. Help us to be continually praying about this. Not be guilted into, into it, but to really pray, God, we want you, we want to grow in you, and growing in you means that we would be concerned about what you're concerned about. Father, we are in awe that you are so concerned about us that you are willing to send Jesus, your son, to die for our sins, that that we may have an opportunity to have salvation, the forgiveness of sins, your Holy Spirit living within us. Father, you went beyond the extra mile for each one of us. Thank you for that. As we take the bread, as we take the cup, Father, help us to remember what we have in him and use that as fuel to grow in our concern for those around us. Help us to figure out ways to serve others, to love, to love others, to seek and save what was lost, 
that you would want to partner with us to redeem man back to you, God. What a privilege. And I pray that we will not waste your time, temporary as it is that you've given us here on earth. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to mature and be more like him. We love you. We're so thankful. In his name, amen.